Hello and welcome back to the newest episode of the Comic Obsessive. I think this is episode 14. I'm Adam Piles and I'm joined by Jason DeHart. Jason DeHart, uh, the true talent of the podcast. Um, I, don't, I don't know about that. The, the idea that we had for today was Jason's idea. So Jason, oh. you want to take it away with uh, explaining what we're going to be talking about today? Absolutely. Before I do, do you want to hear my joke of the day? I, yes, I checked it with you yesterday just to make sure it was appropriate. Uh, so this one time I watched the Red Sox playing the White Sox. Yep. And then I realized I was just doing laundry. That's, <laughs> nice. That's right. That's right. The sports ball. The sports ball jokes. Um, so yeah, today for the exciting new episode 14, almost my lucky number, almost 13. We are going to take a journey into a little known talent in comics, someone that most people probably haven't heard of, but every now and then you'll hear his name whispered in some back alley somewhere. And that is a person named Jack Kirby. Oh, Jack Kirby. Um, Had anyone known, had anyone known the talent? Um, I'm obviously being ironic here. Jack Kirby is one of the legends. And so as part of this, being the DC person that I am, thought we would read a couple of New Gods issues. And we settled on an arc that I, I found it to be interesting and a nice kind of setup. I read issues six, seven, and eight of New Gods. Is that what you also read, Adam? Or did you also go into issue nine? Or did you just read the whole thing? Sometimes you read the whole thing. I read the Fantastic Four. I don't really know what you're talking about. No, oh, same thing. Same thing. <clears throat> yes. No, I read uh, six, seven, and eight as well. I think I'd read one and most of two, but I did that a few weeks ago. Uh, very recently, I read six, seven, and eight. So we're on the same page with our story arc there. Nice, nice. Yeah. Um, so I guess. I mean, I can do a quick sum up of the plot here, and then we could talk about this person named Jack Kirby, and I'll talk a little bit about uh, my knowledge, developing knowledge, and lack of knowledge of Jack Kirby. And uh, we'll, we'll just kind of see where it goes from there, because I know you are a Kirby scholar. <laughs> Kirby scholar. I'm a scholar of nothing, but I do like him. I do like him. He's, <clears throat> he's a great talent. He was a great talent. Uh, in the field of comics. But yeah, tell us about the new gods. Uh, and maddening pro maddeningly prolific too. He was very prolific. So the new gods is, uh, I like to think of it as the gods and monsters, the clash of the Titans is what I was getting as I was reading it. Um, it it's sort of comics heroes, plus a lot of mythology thrown in. And so we have a cast of characters. We have a team and in these particular issues, the two major characters that really get the attention are a character that everybody knows and loves named Orion and, of course, Light Ray. Everybody knows these characters, or as I like to call them, um, Dionysius and Hephaestus is basically how I see them. You know, yeah. like uh, they, they are these godlike characters. And throughout these issues, they're battling um, this character called Dark Side, Dark Seed, Dark Side, Dark Seed, Dark Seed. I always say Dark Side. Yeah, Dark Side. And uh, so he he kind of plays a lot into the second part of the arc, the Empire Strikes Back issue, which would be issue seven of this three series arc. And we get more with Calabac, uh, not 
Calabas, but Calabac, and uh, Desad, Desad, uh, a couple of those characters. Steppenwolf is there, not looking in his Zack Snyder glory, not looking uh, Snyderverse. Uh, and so we get this story arc, which basically results in this brawler of an issue, is what I was thinking as I was reading it, in issue eight, which is where um, Calabac, not Calabas again, comes to um, the dimension, the world of the new gods, causes all sorts of trouble, gets beat down. But it really has, it has this cinematic quality that I don't know if Kirby intended, uh, I'm a big movie person as well, so I kind of saw that in it as like the new hope is this introduction of Orion and uh, Light Ray with issue six. And then in issue seven, we're sort of on uh, Dark Side's world. We're on the Dark Side and we're exploring there. Lots of Kirby Crackle all the way through is what yes, I've heard. So much Kirby Crackle. Uh, and then in issue eight, it's kind of the showdown, the collision of these two worlds. Uh, lots of great art to enjoy. I was trying to think, there are a couple of panels where it's like tiny Orion flying around a monster, and those I'm not wild about. I mean, they're good, but there are so many panels, there are so many pieces of Kirby's art in these issues that it's almost like, I don't know, it's hard to pick out a single panel. Um, just because there's so much happening, and I just appreciate so much about what he brought to these pages. Um, so I, I could go on. Uh, did I miss anything that you want to point out about the issues? I mean, there are those character arcs, like Orion's helmet gets knocked off in the in issue eight, and you kind of see some of his development with that and being kind of a wounded Hephaestus kind of hero and things like that. Um, but any major marks that I missed in the beats? No, I don't think so. <clears throat> these one of the things that stood out to me about these issues was just like how much energy they had in them. Mm -hmm. um, like I would say just about every single sentence is ended with an exclamation point. And you don't say exclamation mark. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I mean, there's just so much energy in the dialogue and so much energy in the um in the art itself. Um, I, I think in some ways you're seeing <clears throat> Kirby kind of unfiltered. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. There's no mm -hmm. Stan Lee who's like editing and changing things and scripting things differently. It's uh, it's really just kind of pure unfiltered Kirby, which is really just uh, high energy, uh, bombastic storytelling and. Mm -hmm. I, I really liked it um, because it was new to me for one thing, which was weird because I'm, you know, I'm familiar with Jack Kirby and, and the things that he did with Marvel. And I've read that stuff so much and reread it so much over the years that um, if you give me an issue that somehow I never had access to, I still know all the characters and I know, you know, how it played out and where it began and all that stuff. But with this, this was brand new to me and that was yeah. an interesting kind of experience to have that kind of familiar Jack Kirby storytelling, mm -hmm. but to have a new cast of characters, a new series of events to, to wrap my head around that I had never read. It was kind of a unique experience for me as a comic reader, because uh, like I say, I've been reading these things since I was like seven years old. 
So, but I'd never really read the New Gods. Um, I, I was studied up on it a little bit, and I saw that there could have been some maybe allegorical connections to like Vietnam uh-huh. in in some of these, you know, with the uh, the warring worlds. Um, yeah. Was it Apocalypse and uh, uh, was it New Genesis? Is that right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, in the war torn worlds, um, kind of echoing the world world war torn you know vietnam i suppose mm-hmm. um so I, I thought that was interesting and it would have been uh, that that would have been the time period you know these were in the early 70s so yeah yeah not to not to oversell just how important kirby was but i mean you're talking about the guy that basically invented captain america yeah you know i mean makes kind of the prototype i mean captain america and superman one could have the debate that's the prototype of sort of like the american superhero right in a way and i mean you got a guy who was at d-day yeah you know right there in the midst of everything that was happening with storytelling and comics which uh, my understanding is that a lot of the things that happened in comics were tied into like world war two and, oh, yeah. you know, captain America punches the mess out of Hitler and, and that kind of thing. And then of course uh, the, the allegory of thinking about Vietnam, Kirby lived through that. It's just a really interesting, when you think about him as a person, uh, the kind of stuff that he lived through, the kind of stuff that he saw and how he must have seen the industry work uh, an industry that apparently was not good to him all the time, you right, know, from yeah. some of the corporate stuff. And then uh, <laughs> just to echo what you said about this being unfiltered Kirby, I mean, the the masthead, which is typically five or six people, is it says <laughs> edited, written, and drawn by Jack Kirby, right. inked by Mike Royer. Um, so he he truly was, I mean, this was like his infusion of all of this creativity um, with some inks by Mike Royer and not to undermine the role of the inker because it's important, but just to say, you know, that, that storyline was there and uh, bombastic is definitely, I think that's the word that captures it for sure. One of my favorite stories of Kirby is that, um, you know, he was born Jacob Kurtzberg mm-hmm. and went to world war two and then worked, worked on captain America. And apparently there were Nazi sympathizers in New York at the time that Captain America was in its first run being published and they didn't like it that, you know, in the first issue, like you just said, Captain America is punching out Adolf Hitler on the cover. Right. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so these Nazi sympathizers apparently go to the office where Kirby is working. Uh, I guess it probably would have been timely at that point. Right. Timely mm-hmm. comments mm-hmm. instead of Marvel. Yeah. And said, you know, we, we want to, we want to talk to this Jack Kirby because they you know, kind of wanted to intimidate him and threaten him for his role in the creation of this art that dared to go against Adolf Hitler. And one of my favorite little stories is that he said, that's fine. Like they called up and told him that uh, like the secretary did or whatever. And he said, that's fine. You tell him I'm coming down to see him. I want to see them. <laughs> and uh, yeah. he was, he was a, not a large man. But I think he was a little firecracker, you know, and uh, by the time he got down there, they were gone, which I, I appreciate that story a lot that he was 
willing to stand up to him and take no guff, right? Yeah. Yeah. When you see some of that, I, I was just, there's a part in these books that talks about conscientious objectors. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I was just uh, looking through and finding some of those parts because in issue six, I'm looking at page, uh, this would be page 23. And, you know, this is Light Ray talking with Orion about sort of the, the fighting methods, the fighting style. And he's saying, you fight battles like a planner. This is Orion. Instead right. of a warrior, the enemy myself, the dead boy and his father, we're all your pawns. Yeah. Yet I brought the enemy to us and see the face of the boy. He's changed like the room and is ready to join us in the confrontation. And so, you know, there is not to English teacher oversell it again, but there's definitely it's not just bombastic. It's not just like the art. There's the storytelling part of it, too. Of like there's some real things to think about here. There is. <clears throat> there's a lot of subtext here because I was in that issue you're talking about, that number six, and when like the action starts happening with the the people on Earth, right? <clears throat> um, the dad is uh, he was there apparently in World War Two, I think D Day, didn't he reference that? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That he he was uh, he was there for D Day, um, but the son, like you say, is a conscientious objector. But before it said that, uh, he like makes this, the dad makes that comment about you pacifist and like blah, blah, blah. And like, I was like, what? A pacifist? What, what, are, we, what are we talking about here? Mm -hmm. um, and then, of course, you know, doing a little bit of digging. Like you say, the, the whole Vietnam allegory for it and everything, the, the subtext is, is great. I, I think... Um, I think maybe the MCU kind of showed people the depth of storytelling that these comics had, but I think for a long time it went unnoticed except by the, by the fans, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, it's more than just, we're here to save the day. There's, there's some real thought that goes into these stories. And I think Jack Kirby was one of those creators that was, as, as most of them are there, uh, kind of thoughtful about what they're putting down on the page. Yeah. And I remember you mentioned Fantastic Four at the beginning of the episode. I remember reading about, um, you know, Namor, which I guess in the movie they pronounced Namor, uh, being that whole storyline of him wanting to like surface and take over um, or fight back against the surface dwellers or people above the water and how it was this big commentary on like atomic war. Yeah. Know? He, he kind of got word down in the sea that things were escalating. And so it became an opportunity to like comment on that politically too. And to say, Hey, like there are checks, there are balances, there are things to, to consider here. Um, and yeah, the, the dad is saying, let's see, this would be page 14. Well, at least I fought when my outfit hit the beach at Normandy, I walked into that rain of bullets with the rest of them. Um, and, you know, uh, again, Kirby writing from his own experiences here, and putting it together in, into this comic book. Um, but then on page, not to interrupt you there. Oh, no, you're good. You're I just good. wanted to follow up that thought because on 16, when um, I forget his name, Jafar. Yeah, the, the green monster that comes kind of out of the sea. Mm-hmm. And he's attacking them on page 16. <clears throat> the monster comes forward, and this war 
hero, he's uh, he's panicking. And it's his son that's kind of springing into action there. I thought that was an interesting little turn of events, maybe kind of turning those stereotypes maybe on their head a little uh-huh. bit. Uh-huh. Um, what is the name of the guy? I'm going to kick myself when I hear it. Who travels around? He's part of the New Gods whole like scene, <clears throat> and he travels around in the chair. And he's blue. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, Mat- Matron, is that right? Maybe. I, I, I think that's the one of which you speak. <clears throat> I think um, so. Okay, so I was going to make a connection here. <clears throat> to something else outside of the new gods and maybe what it inspired. So apparently uh, Mattel, the toy company had its eye on the new gods because of all this like combination of sci-fi fantasy elements. Yeah. Right? Uh-huh. And so Mattel had, had their eye on this as a property to bring into the, into a toy line. And for one reason or another, you know, it got dropped, but it, heavily inspired another Mattel uh, toy line named uh, Masters of the Universe. Oh, how about that? How about that? Yeah. Yeah. And the reason why I was trying to remember that guy's name is because he, I mean, when you look at that character and from He-Man, you know, mythos, you look at Zodak who traveled around in a chair through space. Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. There's definitely those little, influences and apparently the movie that came out in the mid to late 80s i think it's 86 87 um first movie i saw in the theater oh was it yep yep um apparently it was really heavily inspired by the new gods even to the point where like the cosmic key or whatever it is they're looking for Mm -hmm. pretty much a direct you know representation of like a mother box from uh, yeah yeah okay yeah so i thought that was really interesting i love you know i don't know figuring out where things get their influences and and everything um <clears throat> and it um, had synthesizer music by the way before we get too far away from the cosmic key when they would play <laughs> it when they would pick it up you got that nice 80 synthesizer music yeah so, uh, remind me before we completely leave that topic too to tell you about this other book that i read called the he-man effect We'll talk about that. He Man Effect. Uh huh. Okay, I want to hear that. I'm a huge Masters of the Universe fan. I grew up on it. Same. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it kind of kickstarted my love for fantasy. But um, <clears throat> but going back to to Jack Kirby and his creation here. Um, so you know Jack Kirby went to DC in the early '70s. Do you know much about that story? Like how? He got why he got there. I I know a little bit. I know that um, he was not treated well by the higher ups at Marvel. That they kind of renegotiated his contract, and it really wasn't fair to them. That's my understanding of the story. And I know that there are like people that go all into Kirby. Um, Charles Hatfield is one of those people. Like he writes about Kirby and Craig Fisher. At, yeah. at App State, he, I think he and Charles Hatfield were working on a book about Kirby um, last year, or the year before, or something like that. But I have not kind of t- taken that dive below the surface of what happened. Yeah, I mean, I think you have it there that he just 
didn't really feel feel respected. Apparently, there was an article. I'd have to look back and, and see where the article was, but there was an article written about uh, like either Fantastic Four or Marvel in general, and Stanley claimed a lot of credit, and um, I think that really was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back with Jack Kirby. And I think he got so disillusioned that that's, that's when he left. Um, but apparently his stay at DC wasn't that great. I mean, he created this whole, you know, this whole franchise of new gods and all these characters. Uh, and I, looking at this art, I mean, I feel it's kind of peak Jack Kirby. I mean, I know a lot of people say he was, peak with the fantastic four around the galactus trilogy and all that and i get that too but i'm looking through this art here and he is not you know phoning any of this in it is it is authentic effort here um but yeah i don't think his stay at dc was very good too and apparently some scholar like jack kirby scholar slash uh like assistant uh, mark evaner I think might be how you say his last name. Uh Um, He said that, you know, Jack Kirby really wanted this to just be a, a mini series, but it kept getting pushed further and further and further. And he was kind of running out of ideas with it and everything. Um, And then eventually he makes his way back to Marvel and does that run on Captain America. Um, And apparently that was a bit odd too, because when he took over Captain America, it was just kind of like he ignored everything that came before it. He he just did Jack Kirby's Captain America. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I which I mean, I, I find that to be cool. To yeah, you know, I guess people expected the like trajectory, but you know, now having lived through all of these universes and the comics being rebooted multiple times, I guess I also have a a slightly different perspective than maybe I would have been a reader at that point. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I respect that even more for him that he went back and was like, well, here's what I'm going to do. Yeah. We'll do it this way. I mean, it's a very uh, Frank Sinatra approach. What would you say? Like, you know, this is a conversation that has, you know, books and documentaries. Uh, we're going to settle it right here. We're going to settle it right here. It's <laughs> like his, his legacy. Like, what do you think of when you think of Jack Kirby and, I know we're talking about new gods, yeah. but you know, with his legacy at Marvel and all that, like how, how do you see it as a fan? Um, I mean, monumental as far as coming up with these characters, I know there's kind of the, the controversy that people bring to it and that they talk about. Um, and there was a novel that I think about too, Michael Shaban, um, the oh, adventures yeah. of Cavalier and clay. I mean, mm-hmm. and this is a literary guy who's who published stories in the New Yorker and then went on to, you know, co-write Spider-Man too. So that I mean, that story of like Stan Lieber, Stan Lee, uh, and Jack Kirby inspired him. But then I also, uh, you know, you see Kirby's influence in some of the art that's traveled down. Like uh, you and I were talking about Bruce Tim. Yeah, And looking back at New Gods, I was like, oh, that's Bruce Timm. There's a, an episode, and I know I'm a little bit uh, obsessed with Batman Adventures and the Batman animated series, but there's an issue, not an episode, but an issue of uh, one of the annuals for Batman Adventures. And Etrigan, 
the demon, one of Jack Kirby's uh, brainchilds, is the villain in the story. And a little bit later on in the story, you know, Paul Dini doing the script, he was big on the TV show, and, and Bruce Tam doing the art. They uh, have this like spell casting um, moment where someone is trying to defeat Etrigan. And in that, like, ladies, or not ladies Zatanna, but Zatanna kind of move, they write the words backward on the page to indicate that there's a spell. Yeah. And it says, like, Kirby was the greatest. Mm -hmm. And it says some other things, too. But I just feel like that moment in that book is a way of summing up some of his legacy. Because, you know, you might not necessarily have a comics artist say, yeah, Kirby was it. But there are people still studying him. There, there are people still writing about what he did. And some people like it. Some people don't. Um, but that's also the mark of any great art, in my opinion. Like... There are very few styles or types of art that people settle on, and everybody just loves it. You know, maybe Van Gogh, where like if you say I don't like Van Gogh, people look at you like what's wrong with you. Mm -hmm. um, I, I just feel like his style, his way of creating, and even even bringing in the mythology, like uh, yeah, that's a long-winded answer, but I think that there's a lot that he brought to it that lives on. Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree. I think we were talking a little bit yesterday, <clears throat> and I was saying that, and maybe I've already said this on the podcast in some episode, um, I didn't like it at first. I didn't like Jack Kirby's stuff at first. I was a Jim Lee guy. I was a John John Byrne guy. Uh, uh -huh, uh -huh. Um, Todd McFarlane, you know, that was my era. And so I didn't, I didn't really like it. Uh, but it took some like maturity on my part to look back on it and say and see the energy in the panels. Yeah. Um, I think I'm in issue six uh, on page 18 where. Um, is it Orion with the red suit? Yeah. Yeah. And he's riding in his like such a bizarre little <laughs> air. And scooter. he has a great pose on it. I got to say. He does. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he does. but like just looking at the effects that he captures on page 18 with when he's fighting um, the monster, the the Jafar mm -hmm. uh, in that first panel, I don't, it just it comes to life for me. Like that Kirby crackle is present. That yep. energy is present. And just the effects that he got with his lines and his shading. It's to me, it's crazy because now a lot of this stuff is done digitally and, you know, of course, it wouldn't have been in the early 70s. But the effects that he created with not a huge color palette. I mean, I know he wasn't doing the color. He wasn't the colorist. But you know what I'm saying? Like, they couldn't bring it to life with digital coloring and everything. Everything was just so by hand. Yeah. And I think that's just such a true mark of his genius is, like, seeing the effects he created with that third panel on page 18 where it's a... The, wham and like yeah. just this explosion and i could just stare at that and just i want some of these panels as posters you know what i mean oh yeah that would be yeah they, they should definitely be posters have you read um any of the eternal stuff that he did with i Marvel? read some of it yeah and i yeah. knew that was kind of well it sounds like you might know a little bit more than me about the eternals did you read a lot of that 
Honestly, I hadn't until, you know, the big movie came out and my first revisit was Neil Gaiman's stuff. I went back and checked out right. some of that. And then I was just thumbing through Comixology uh, and found Eternals. And I kind of feel like Eternals and New Gods have kind of this cross publisher back channel. Yeah. You know, I mean, in some ways, DC and Marvel will always kind of have that rivalry even if they have a, a film or a shared franchise which it sounds like it's possible that they might with james gunn doing the movies now um i kind of feel like before that was ever even a thought kirby had this kind of back channel of like hey maybe there is this shared universe that's out there because i kind of feel like of course the art is there because it's him but uh even conceptually like i, I kind of feel like there are lots of things that those books have in common yeah i mean i think he brought some of these ideas from thor like not, definitely yeah they, they were not developed in thor but i think he had these ideas when he was working on thor and going back to his panels on these pages just so many of these i bet 95 percent of these panels i would proudly wear as a t-shirt you know what <laughs> i mean like just a little image on a t-shirt totally out of context oh yeah just I mean, for like a, an in-service or where, wherever. Yeah. We look at page 25 in that issue, number six, where uh, if we must die, let new Genesis live. And it's just so dramatic and so full of energy. And it's just done with. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Ink on the page. Uh, mm -hmm. Pencils and ink on the page. And yeah, it was, it was great to read this. And then it's kind of interesting to look back. Uh, I don't. How are you reading these? Uh, on Comixology. Comixology. Do you do those have the Kirby classics in the back of they them? They do. They okay. do indeed. Yeah. So I didn't read those. I didn't have the time to read those I, because I was wanting to read as much as I could today to be as fresh, you know, for, as I could for the podcast. But yeah. looking back at them, it's so interesting to see that, you know, these are called Kirby classics at the top. But, you know, you wouldn't. I don't know. It, it looks there. There are some Jack Kirby moments in in these panels, but it's definitely so different than his Marvel and his sixties and seventies work. No matter what company he was at, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's interesting to think back that I guess he must have been probably my age or older when he was creating the Fantastic Four. I mean, you kind of think. Oh, that must be the work of a 20 year old mind or something, you know, all that mm -hmm. like drama and energy and angst. And it's got to be a 20 year old or <laughs> no offense, 20 year olds who might be listening, but you know what right, I'm saying? Yeah. The, the energy, the stay up all night, you know? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But it wasn't, man. It was like he was my age. And apparently he was also very proud of being a cartoonist. Like a lot of, a lot of these guys in that time period when it wasn't super well respected um i think some were maybe even a little embarrassed by what they did but I, I don't think he was i think he was always so proud of what he did and just his his creations i saw him interviewed at some convention in the 60s probably might have been the 70s it could have even been the 80s i don't know but they I think he was just maybe reflecting back on Dr. Doom. You know how Dr. Doom is supposed to wear his mask to protect 
uh, or to cover up his scars, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But Jack Kirby tells the story where in his mind, uh, when Dr. Doom removes his mask, I think maybe I've already said this. I think I mentioned this back when we did the Fantastic Four issue, that there's like one little scar on Doom's face. <laughs> but his ego is such that he has to wear this mask because yeah. he cannot deal with, you know, it's just such a creative little touch. And that's, yeah. that's the mind that we're working with here with these. I'm looking at issue eight now and <clears throat> his design for, um, oh, what's his name? big hairy guy calabac calabac yeah yeah i just love that so feral you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. going back to that gods and monsters thing you know like here's the monster coming to earth you got these gods that are kind of swooping in um so for me the introduction to a lot of these characters was not comics uh you mentioned the he-man and masters of the universe it was action figures the superpowers yeah. line in the eighties. And I remember, you know, recognizing and knowing Steppenwolf and dark side, Orion and, uh, Calabac, not from comics, but because I'd found them at Western auto in downtown Princeton, West Virginia. <laughs> um, you know, like these little action figures that were introducing me to new worlds. And that was the He-Man effect thing that I was going to tell you about. I read this book. It's an early copy, so it's not out yet by this comics guy named Box Brown. And it goes back and it looks at like 80s culture and, you know, on up through the 90s. And it talks about how um, there was so much branding and there was so much like synergizing between toy companies and so people would make the toys to sell the uh books and the books and the animated shows would be like basically marketing for the toys and it was all circular um so in in my mind now you know to me the the matron connection to or metron or matron connection to masters of the universe i mean all of that kind of lives in the same headspace for me in a way yeah um so it is a really interesting book but just helps me think about like where did i get to to find that love of these stories and some of them were through action figures and you know sometimes i wouldn't know a character necessarily but then i'd get to kind of go back and build so i hadn't spent a lot of time with new gods um there was a limited run that jack kirby did of superpowers in the 80s that's Um, right yeah yeah and i remember reading some of those and getting attracted to some of those before any, anything with new gods. So this was kind of a, a new discovery for me too to get to explore and to get to see some of the backstory of things that I had seen, like the action figure of, but uh, just to get to see like the full fledged kind of fuller reality, I guess. And one of my favorite characters who just gets a little like shout out in this three series arc is, Mr. Miracle. Yeah. Yeah. Scott free. Yeah. Yeah. Is, is he showing up later in the series, like a little bit more, or was that really just kind of touching on him and he became a character later? He had his own, he had his own series. Um, That's right. I don't think that he was a big part of the new gods, but I think that was a nice little like connection point between the two. Um, but yeah, like you got that that shout out to him 
I always um, love that pun. Uh, his <laughs> name is Scott Free, and he is a escape artist. I just it, it makes me happy. It's perfect. It is. It's really it? perfect. Yeah. <clears throat> no, he yep. has a great costume. Uh, great so, costume. Great costume. And I mean, basically, he's an escape artist. And yeah. that's kind of his deal. And that's another, I think it's the costume that draws me into him too. Yeah. I think it's like, wow, this guy looks cool. He must be cool. Therefore he is cool. Yeah. Um, my, um, my introduction to dark side and Mr. Miracle and um, light ray uh, was an issue of Justice League. It should have been about 181. It was in that stack that my dad got me from the flea market. I don't think it even had a cut. I know it didn't have a cover, but I read that thing a million times. Um, but in it, the Justice League is um, on Apocalypse. Is that right? Is that the dark side planet Apocalypse? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Um, they're on Apocalypse and they are, you know, that introduced me to those characters I mentioned, I mentioned it introduced me to dark side where there's like a big splash page of him standing there looking just intimidating and regal. It wasn't Jack Kirby art, but it was, I would say you know, it's his characters, uh, granny goodness. That was a part of oh, it. Yeah. She was a part of it. And it was, um, very, very influential story. And I just remember how, of course I didn't know the word dystopian at the time, but how dystopian and dark it was on that planet and everything. Um, and then I think I had the, the dark side, super, superpowers figure. Mm -hmm. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Did you have that one? Because... Uh, I think I did. Yeah. Cause okay. the, like you could shine light and his eyes would light up. Yes. He had a window in the top of his head. Mm -hmm. If you put light in that window, his eyes lit up and he had, I guess those are the Omega beams. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Um, that, yeah, are so powerful and everything. And I thought it was like the coolest looking toy ever. Um, but yeah, Jack Kirby's legacy is just incredible. Um, I probably told this story on here too uh, about what Stanley and Jack Kirby planned out for the Galactus trilogy. Have I mentioned that before? I, I can't remember if you've mentioned it on here or if um, we've just talked about it. Yeah. My understanding is that Jack Kirby <clears throat> or Stanley just sent Jack Kirby uh, a note that said, have them fight God. And there was the Galactus trilogy. Yeah. And then yeah. Stanley talks about how um, he gets the pages from Jack Kirby and he's doing the script and, and he's like, who is this? Who's this <laughs> nutty guy on a surfboard? And so Jack Kirby thought, you know, somebody as powerful as Galactus must have a herald to search out these planets for him. Mm -hmm. Such a nice little creative touch. <clears throat> New Gods was a win for me. I'm sure I will end up reading the rest of them. But what issue did Jack Kirby stay stay through? Do we know? Let's see. Well, there was a return of the new gods, and I think it's... Um... Okay. Yep. 11 and 12. So 11 looks like his last one. Yeah, I, I believe that's right. And, you know, looking back at a lot of his work, um, 
in my head these these books lasted longer you know for some reason i always kind of felt that way um that they were like these epic runs but there were a lot of his later titles that were shorter like that which filling in some of the backstory and, and knowing some of his creative directions that he took that kind of makes sense yeah yeah it looks like <clears throat> at least on the dc app the return of the new gods lasts through issue 19 and the return started with issue 12. So 12 through 19 is a different creative team. And that was Jerry Conway, I, I think, maybe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Don Newton looks like he's the artist for most yeah. of that. But, you know, another thing that Jack Kirby needed the recognition for was just how prolific he was. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, most artists do like a book a month. I think the fast ones will do like two books a month and maybe a cover. But he was doing so much of Marvel uh, when it was starting. He was he was Marvel. He was the house style. I think uh, every time a new artist came in, Stanley was saying, "Well, this is how Jack would do it, and this is how you need to do it." You know, so I think mm -hmm. he was the, the Marvel standard there for a while. Um, I was just gonna say, definitely worth the visit. Um, and I, I kind of, those Kirby classics make me want to go back and look at some of the earlier things too. kind of take a look back through those. Yeah. Um, well, I appreciate you recommending new gods because, you know, I'd heard about it for years and like I say, familiar with some of the characters, but that this is my first real dive into it, but I will explore some more because that's, that's some interesting stuff. Just so mythic and larger than life. Uh -huh, uh -huh. But where do you think we're headed next? Well, you know, it's a, it's a choose your own adventure at this point. We've had <laughs> Valentino stop by. We've had Bob Hall stop by. I like how um, we can just drop those names. Oh, yeah, you know, Jim Valentino, he dropped by one day. And we like right, we chatted right. him up a little bit. You know, nice. that was great. And, and very kind, both of them, very kind yeah. to, to come on and spend time with us. Um, so uh, we've got a couple of things in the works for episodes 15 and beyond. Um, who, who knows what's next? There are so many books, so many things that can be done with comics. Um, we've talked about a couple of potential heroes to come up. We might read some Daredevil. We, we might read something else. I, mean, I need to introduce, um, we need to look at Swamp Thing at some point. And oh, yeah. you can you can pick your pleasure with Swamp Thing. I mean, there are so many approaches and so many things, including some recent stuff that's come out that's really interesting. So, uh, you know, I, I think we just kind of journey and, and see where the, the podcast wind uh, leads our podcast cell, cell cast something. All right. Yeah. Yeah. That was a, I feel like that metaphor broke down, but, oh, well. you know. Um. I was kind of wanting to look at um, some Daredevil that was <laughs> kind of in between the runs that everybody looks at. Like everybody oh, yeah. um, looks at uh, Frank Miller's Daredevil, which they should. Mm -hmm. It's amazing, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and um, oh my gosh, I'm blanking. Um, Gene Colan. Everybody looks at Gene Colan's Daredevil too, and which they should. It's epic. Mm -hmm. But there's like there's there's some issues there. Uh, leading up to Frank Miller's run after Gene Cullen had left, uh, Bob Brown was a penciler and it was like such fun, classic superhero storytelling without yeah. 
a huge amount of angst and it was just fun. And so maybe we could go in that direction to maybe explore something that hasn't been talked about for decades, you know? Yeah, I like it. I like it. I, I read it all. I will be glad to read it all. And uh, we do take recommendations from listeners like you out there. Hi, mom. Um, we yeah. totally we totally do that. So if you have an issue or a run or a character or an artist that you'd like to hear us talk about or talk to, you're welcome to send that in. The yeah. comic obsessive at gmail.com. Yeah. Reach out through um, Gmail, like uh, Jason said. Uh, there's an Instagram account where I will post some pictures of uh, panels and um, of creators that we're, we're covering. So if you want to reach out through that, that would be great. Uh, but reach out. We, we want to hear from people and we want to know what we're doing uh, well and what, what we're not doing well. I mean, we can already say that Jason's doing the good stuff and I'm doing the poor stuff. But, you know, yeah. maybe maybe point me in the direction of like what I'm not good at. That would be helpful for me. You know, dude, I, I teach teenagers. They do that all day. They're That's like, true. Really? Yeah. You wore that, sir? You're wearing that shirt? Like, yeah. yeah. I am wearing that shirt and I like it. So. <laughs> all right. Well, on that note, I guess we should just say to stay obsessive and keep reading comics and enjoying them. Stay obsessive. And if you're going to be obsessive about something, comics is pretty safe. I would agree. Take care, everybody.